Hi, this is Tiffany Ann for Dreams Recycled. You are listening to our podcast. Today I am talking to um, Michael David Chapman, who is a mentor who has an interesting post-divorce story. As you know, uh, Dreams Recycled is an equal supporter of both men and women through their divorce. And we love to hear from men and hear their point of view. And um, obviously, it's always good for me because I am not a man. So I always learn something new also. So welcome, Michael. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. So so how many... You've been divorced once? Twice. Twice. Okay. So you technically are more of an expert than I am, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> so... You were interesting because just before we came on, we had a little discussion about kind of how you became a mentor. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? How come you have a kind of passion for helping other men? Sure. So 25 plus years in organizational leadership, I realized last year that I was, I was in a very tough situation and the conflict always evolved to coaching the person versus supporting the organizational goals and trying to merge those two, whether it's faith-based or not. Mm. And I made a decision. I made a probably crazy, stupid decision to leave a position without a position in hand. Mm. That, um, that opened up a door to coach and mentor others through tough situations, whether it be divorce, professional pivots, whatever it is. Yeah, because I find there seems to be a lot more uh, resources for female divorces than male divorces, which has always been interesting to me because obviously it's equal numbers of both out there. And it's why when I was adamant, when I was putting up Dreams Recycle, people were like, oh, make it only for women. I'm like, why? It's an equal opportunity destroyer of men and women. And and I've always thought that, you know, if you help anyone, if you help the man, it helps the spouse and the children. If you help the woman, it helps the ex-spouse and the children. And so we should be all inclusive, I feel, in this field. So yeah, I, think, I, think a lot of that, I think a lot of that has to do with it's not safe. It still isn't safe culturally, depending on, you know, wherever you go, it's not safe for a man to be vulnerable and talk openly about a lot of things, but especially divorce, especially when there is failure. It's just not still, we're still in a culture where it's not safe to talk about. Yeah. So what do you think the differences are in how men handle divorce and how women handle it? Well, depends. So when... So in my first, I wanted it. In my second, I did not. Mm. Uh, what would separate the two, or, or what I should say is, what separates the two is wanting it versus not. And mm. so when, you know, the way I, had, I operated or behaved in the first, it was totally different than the way that I operated or did life in the second. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. So I, 
you know, whether you want it or whether you don't want it, I think there's an equal amount of pain associated with it. I just think it's a different kind of pain because it's either the guilt and shame pain of wanting it and realizing you're hurting someone else in the process and they don't want it, or you're the one who doesn't want it and you're the one who's hurt because of the pain of feeling like you've been rejected. So I always say, you know, there are no winners in divorce. Both sides have their baggage and their pain associated with it. Yeah. And the sooner that, I'm, you know, cause we're talking about men, mm-hmm. the sooner a man can understand that and separate what he did versus what she did or what he did versus what it did. The sooner he can come into healing his potential in his ultimate fullness. Mm. Do you think that's a maturity thing? Because I think there's a big difference getting divorced at 30 or getting divorced at 50, right? You know, I, I find younger divorcees, it's a lot harder to kind of, you know, there's a lot of blaming and shaming going on. And I think maybe as your, you know, over 40 crowd starts to get divorced, you start to realize that really all marriage is two people trying to make it work or two people letting it fail. So there's maybe not an equal amount of blame on both sides, but there's definitely personal responsibility that everybody has to take in their divorce. Yeah. Yeah. So the time span that separated the two, my two, Mm -hmm. I was, divorced at 30 and then divorced at 40. Mm. And so to respond to you directly at 30, I mean, I was divorced in May and remarried in December or November. Oh, wow. So just let that, let that soak for a little bit. And why do you think that was? Because we talk a lot about, you know, making the same mistakes twice, right? Is that a codependency? Is that not being able to function by yourself? Is that just timing and having to meet the perfect person at the perfect I was, time? I was, I was highly codependent and had no clue even how to spell that word, much less understand mm-hmm. what I was doing. I mean, I ran, I did life so fast. You know, it was in those years, I had two, I had a one-year-old and an almost two-year-old. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was all about, you know, providing and being a hero. And, you know, I never learned to ask myself, and I think this is the key, ask myself or ask yourself great questions that essentially relationships business ventures, whatever you want to call it, live and die on the ability and willingness to ask great questions. And I didn't understand that until I got 40. And in, in, a, in a sense, I'm approaching, you know, a repeat performance. Mm-hmm. Right? What, what, t- um, what would be some of those questions that would be a good idea to ask yourself before you got remarried? So after your divorce? There's a ton of them, but I think it might start with what is it it, like, what is it in me that cannot be alone? Mm -hmm. So at 40, 41, okay, Mm -hmm. I learned the value of being alone. Right. Being lonely. There's a difference. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. When you're lonely, 
You medicate with all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, when I went through my second, I had to understand. I mean, I, w- I went on a almost ridiculous pursuit to understand what was it in me. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, you know, cliche answer is if you're not happy in yourself, you're not going to be happy with anyone else, right? And you're going to gravitate to the first person that comes along and settle for anyone because they validate your lack of self-worth. Right. Correct. And, and what happens with baggage, there's nothing wrong with having baggage. Mm-hmm. You know, I love these memes, these bitter people that run around and say, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want anybody with baggage. We all have baggage. Thank, thank God we have baggage because baggage serves, emotional baggage serves, if you allow it, mm-hmm. to sharpen who we are and what we want. To that end, I just, to be candid, I just never slowed down long enough to, to ask. It's not that I can't ask great questions. At, at 30, when I went my first divorce I was in a position of leadership professionally that I mean every day consisted of asking great questions to bring out the best of my leaders but I wasn't willing to ask those of myself uh, personally which you know at some point when I went through my second day I realized it was really tied to self-hate I hated who I was I hated what I was about hated my upbringing. I mean, I just had so much hate. I didn't even realize it until I was 40. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and we, you know, Dreams Recycled and I, huge advocates of not dating for the first year you get divorced. I mean, and when I say that, I mean like, yes, you can go to dinner and movies and stuff, but not having a relationship. The only person you should be having a relationship with, I believe, the first year after you're divorced is yourself. You know, that kind of taking that year for yourself and asking yourself the difficult questions, like I call it dating yourself, getting to know yourself again. You know, most people's um, first marriage actually lasts eight years and nine months. That's quite a long time that you've been a we instead of an I. You know, so to take 12 months of your life to kind of reset and really think about what you want, who you are, what kind of person you want to be like it you know as you said if you've become somebody that you're not even happy with it's a good time to reset take that time before you even try and find someone else to be with or date or have a relationship i don't know if you know statistically statistically uh 87 87 percent of people remarry within three and a half years of their divorce which clearly shows that, you know, we're just not very good at being alone, right? That's a very low number to me. We're not good at being alone and we're not learning how to be, we're not good at being friends first before we do other things. And so for me, going back to your original point, I just, I, this is what I did, okay? During the separation of the second, I did a lot of work to do one of two things, either Mm -hmm. reconcile or become human. When I say human, like I'm human, but emotionally human where I could see my dysfunction, 
own, you know, it, a lot of people, I was a very self-aware person, but I wasn't very self-actualized. I could see my dysfunction, but I, I made excuses mm -hmm. around action, which I think brings someone into self-actualization. So I wrote, I mean, the conduit for what you're talking about was my writing. I would write, so I had a lot of hate, right? I had a lot of hate towards what, quote unquote, she did. Mm -hmm. And when you look at that objectively, that had merit. You know, what is hate, right? It's just we, we, we strongly dislike something, right? Yeah. When you look at that objectively, it was, it was unlikable stuff. But the more that I wrote and the more that I wrote and got the venom onto paper, mm. like at some point, and I share this all the time, some point the words turned to face me and I realized that while I didn't do the same things that quote unquote she did I did other things that were not supportive not connected hateful you name it so the writing really I did a ton of therapy in my second I mean I had at one point I had three therapists mentors I mean I had but I realized that there's only so much knowledge one can take in before you actually have to put it into action. Mm -hmm. and, that well, and that's why we're a big, you know, a big advocate of getting help, right? At least help in the initial stages, whether it's coaching, therapy, counseling, support groups, whatever makes sense to you. There's no right or wrong answer. But I think that's a good kind of blueprint find somebody to help you but like you just said very good point at a certain point during that help that you're receiving for others you have to take personal responsibility and actually start taking action uh, the ability to especially during a separation i think most men i read i i, I can't cite where i read this i should i should look it up but there i read a post or a some resource that said that men actually work harder to save the marriage once a woman has closed her heart than a woman works before she closes her heart. And what I mean by that is when you, if you can somehow quantify the emotional energy in units relative uh -huh. to the amount of work he will do to save it, it's actually, yeah, because once, once she says, done yeah we're done eight eight out of every ten divorces are filed by women women part with a ridiculous amount but when they are done and they say they are done they are done yeah and so then men like me do a ton of stupid mm. that quantifiably speaking is it's too late yeah it's too late but it's a lot of work. But so what would your advice be? Let's say somebody's listening to this and they're going through marriage kind of issues. And let's face it, almost every marriage will go through some kind of issues. What do you think you, you should have, would have, could have done? Or what would you advise people to do now? Absolutely. So without sharing any details, because they're always messy. Okay. The one thing that I would have, there's two things that I would have done different. Mm-hmm. Is as a married man going into that season, 
I found myself very isolated. What I mean by that is I'm in a position of leadership professionally. My wife was, the wife at the time was a stay-at-home mom. I found myself completely isolated from other men that would have asked me the tough questions. Like, hey, how much time do you spend dating your wife? How much time do you spend honoring her? How much time do you spend with your kids? And on and on we go. Okay, number one, have great people that will call you on your bull fill in the blank because you have yeah that's number one and that's true but number two okay once you find yourself lacking number one and she's pulling away second thing i would have done would have sounded like hey you know what i can see right now we're not working i'm going to give you space i'm going to leave i'm going to still support you financially I'm going to still support you emotionally to the degree you want it, but I'm going to get help from me because she could see to her credit, right? She could see just how emotionally stupid I was. Mm -hmm. And and unfortunately for her, she used that as a reason or excuse not to, to work on her. Mm-hmm. So if I could have removed myself from the space, but still kept my marital obligations, if you will. In other words, remove yourself. The longer you, men, right? The longer you try to save it, okay, with your coy words and your intelligence and nonsense, the more she loses respect for you. And so I lost a lot of respect because I couldn't shut up. Mm. Well, I, I think that men are fixers, right? Men want to fix it, whether it's a house, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a marriage, whatever. And so they may be more action orientated. But I think what you said is really, really actually good advice. And I actually give the same advice in my coaching. Yeah, she needed space. Yeah. Well, well, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. Well, not just the space, but if a marriage is starting to break down and you've been to, you know, obviously marriage counseling, therapy, et cetera, as a couple, but almost in all cases, there's a secondary level of support you need individually. So, you know, two people having individual counseling to become the best versions of themselves that they can be can indirectly then make two people's marriage work, right? Because then you don't have two separate people with issues, both trying to get along and not being able to. So, yeah, there's definitely a place for individual therapy also. So underneath all of that, in any responsive tactic you you think you might be able to make towards saving your marriage, I think it's important to note that really we're in a place of one of two motivations, and that is either A, we're responding or operating in a, from a position of love and safety and kindness and trustworthiness or we're in fear. And for me, I was in fear. I was terrible. I had no clue, by the way. I can look back 
objectively, like almost like a book report or like a review of a movie. Okay. Mm -hmm. And said, I was terrified. And this is the best part. I was terrified of something. I had no reason to be terrified for. It was all an illusion. So it's my journey in my divorce recovery was all about getting very in touch with just how scared I was as a man. And oftentimes for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fear, fear of change, right? It's fear of the unknown. It's fear of the what ifs. It's a million horror stories that we've heard before about horrible, horrible, horrible things that really probably are not going to happen. And it comes under that whole umbrella of, you know, wasting your you life worrying a, about something that might not be. Yeah, you become a movie producer. Mm -hmm. You create movies in your head. Yeah. Yeah, and I... Uh, uh, you know, it's always better in divorce. It's always better in any adversity or life change to focus on everything that you have gained, not what you have lost. Because obviously all adversity comes with a loss, whether it's loss of your marriage, loss of your health, loss of whatever it is. But if you shift that mindset and you really focus on, you know, the positive side of it, because divorce, even though I think I was one of the first people to say this out loud and I sometimes still get in trouble for it, there is a positive upside to divorce. You go from having two people who cannot be happy together to hopefully having two people who can be very happy apart. And, you know, the children see that every child I've ever met, all they want is two parents that are happy, right? And so, um, you know, there's always a positivity to it and there's always a redo button and a way that you can you know, make the most of it. Not like you want it. Like you said, you didn't want it. A lot of people um, don't want it. But if you're going to do it, you may as well do it in the best way possible. Yeah, if you're going to do it, like if you're, so for men that are on the receiving end of quote unquote, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. Here's a couple of, I don't like saying the word tips, but here's a couple of um, common sense learnings that will, eliminate the wake of stupidity. What I mean by that is just things where you look back and say, I would have done it differently. Number one is work on you. Mm -hmm. Over and over and over and over again, our therapist said, "Your Michael, your job is to work on Michael. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because for me, I kept putting relational investments in the relational vending machine and nothing came out inside so bang on it mm -hmm. because by that point there was a hard heart on the other side number two have people in your life who will hold you accountable to number one okay. and number three be very clear between the difference of what is fear and what is love and what i mean by that is is we are operating, when you love somebody, that's one thing, but the ability to show it in the cauldron, the ability to show love when the temperatures are high, the ability to show love when you're disrespected and, you know, offenses are high, will combat fear, not only in the short term, two, three, four years from now. Not only that, there are kids, they are watching. Mm -hmm. They are watching, they are soaking, and you are writing 
on their hearts based on how you respond to those offenses. No, that's true. I mean, and definitely children, I'm, I say that all the time. What you model to your children is infinitely more important than what you say to your children. Your children become one of you, whether they want to or not. The, you know, they become the mom, they become the dad, they pick up the behaviors, the thought patterns, whether it's, as you said earlier, the self, self-loathing, you know, anything negative, they absorb that through osmosis, through what they see. Yes. Wow. Okay. So, so just to wrap up, because we have to go shortly. So as a man going through divorce, I think that you, what you said is really good. So keep your friends or make new friends, one or the other, because I find men and women both do this. When we get divorced, I mean, when we're married, when we start to get married, we lose contact with our friends. And, um, and we're not, maybe we're not allowed to go see them. Maybe we don't spend so much time with them. We always focus on our, our you know, kids and family, which is fine. But like you said, when you get to the divorce bar and you're in that situation, you realize how important friends can be. And especially the kind of friends, like you said, that can be honest with you. And so, you know, if you have one or two real friends who will be a mirror to you and point out what you need to do, say, think or whatever, they are invaluable. And we should really, you know, make sure that we're keeping those or making efforts to make new ones. That's right. But I would say, but I would say the friends that will jump in the water of your BS and nonsense of everything that's wrong with her, those aren't friends. I'm talking about the kind of friends that do not align themselves with the common sense. Yeah, she shouldn't be doing that. And yeah, she's wrong over here. They already align with that, but that's not what comes out of their mouth. What comes out of their mouth is encouragement statements and not direct feedback on you focusing on you because here's the here's here's the reality on your very best days controlling who you are is a gift and so you want friends that are going to look at you and say hold on i hear what you're saying about her blah 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 all that let's talk about michael mm-hmm. Because reacting is easy. Responding requires work, requires deference, requires wisdom, requires wise counsel. Who don't sit there and bash the ex, soon-to-be ex-wife or wife. Instead, they focus on you. Mm-hmm. Well, because that's the only control we have. In the, in the lack of control that we have over divorce and over what happens and over who gets what and the kids and everything else, the only control we have is how we react to everything. I was very deliberate. I was very deliberate because I had a, I had a peanut gallery in the first divorce. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. You know, and it did. But I didn't grow from that, and I never grieved it, mm-hmm. which segues into the second thing. Learning to grieve, and this may be on the podcast, but learning to grieve loss, Mm -hmm. impending loss, learning to grieve failure is a skill. It's going to happen in life. We we are all going to grieve something. Mm -hmm. And learning to grieve that with respect, integrity, honor, dignity, and still find 
yourself, especially if you're the one being rejected, left, abandoned, cheated on, whatever that is. That is a skill. And you can't do that if you're in denial, right, which is at the core of every divorce. Mm -hmm. You can't do that if you have a bunch of, you know, shall I say it, sycophants around you that are telling you what you want to hear to fuel the same nonsense that got you there. Yeah, there's nothing, I mean, no men or women during divorce need to be, feel they need to be Superman or Superwoman. You, ha, you know, it is a tremendous loss. It's one of the most stressful events any human can go through in their lifetime. And you're allowed to cry, you're allowed to grieve, you're allowed to feel lost, you're allowed to do, you know, whatever makes sense to you in your own way. And, and I think that's really important you know, for our audience to understand that, that that's just part of being human. You know, that's what you do. You cry, you scream, you do whatever. And, uh, but you just don't stay there. Right. Yeah. So. You need people that are pulling you, not pushing you, but pulling you into the better part of your emotional self. Yeah. Well, that's a good note to end on. So, um, thank you so much for being a guest. We've enjoyed having you. And uh, where can people find you if they want more information? Well, you gave my name. So I'm on LinkedIn. Primarily, I'm on LinkedIn. And I am on Facebook at BizMinister, at sign BizMinister. Okay. And this has been Tiffany Ann for Dreams Recycled. And Michael David Chapman, um, it's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you.